You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. Support for this podcast comes from Compass Real Estate, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit compass.com. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. They are announcing their Curb to Compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. Reach out to them or visit them on the web at tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. I enjoy reading and learning from others, which guides me to share a quote before we begin this episode. Today's quote is... Those who know do not speak. Those who speak do not know. And that is from Lao Tzu. Today, we will hear Carrie Geraci's story. Carrie is the executive director for Jackson Hole Public Art. She was raised in Massachusetts, but grew up here in Jackson. As many other people have done, Carrie has worked in a variety of industries in Jackson Hole over the years, and now, with Jackson Hole Public Art, has the privilege to work on enhancing the community through public art. During the pandemic, the work did not stop for Carrie and her team, and as she moves from one project to the next, our community is the beneficiary of Jackson Hole Public Art's great work. Carrie, good morning. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. So delighted to see you. It's been a while. And thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think this is a great program that you're uh, producing. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. We're getting close to 200 episodes, so we're getting there. I love beginning these episodes. How did you get connected to Jackson? Were you born and raised here? Or if not, where did you grow up? Where would you call that you were raised? Yeah, well, I was raised in Massachusetts, but I would say I grew up here in Jackson, meaning that I was a young adult when I showed up on the town square with my friend's phone number in my pocket. I called him from Jackson Dread and went and met with him and his friends and stayed in our temporary lodging until we moved into a little condo on Rancher Street. And that began my Jackson Hole adventure. I was an art major in college and I did not have a very well-planned out future. And when I heard some friends were moving to Jackson Hole, even though I was not a skier, I thought, well, that's cool. I've never been out West before. I've seen a postcard. I think I'll try that. And that's how I arrived. And do you feel comfortable sharing how many years ago that was and what season? I got here the last couple of days of August of 1990. Okay. August 1990. So you had a phone number in your pocket. You didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> nope. Nope. Those weren't invented yet. Yeah. Computers were still relatively new at that time. 
that's what I mean when I say I grew up here. I was a kid when I got here, starting off on an adventure. I had a sleeping bag that went to 20 degrees, not quite warm enough for what you'd probably want. And I was completely clueless when I arrived. One of my maybe, I don't know, fourth times on skis, I'd skied in New Hampshire one one big snow weekend before getting here. And we were out cross-country skiing up Cache Creek and on the hills and a little bit off trail. And I kept falling down and my roommates were like, if you want to have a social life, you better learn how to ski and better do it a little faster. (laughs) And so I did. Luckily, I was working at Jack Dennis Sports and Stu Robertson and Tyler Bergeen and a couple other guys in the shop. Chris J taught me how to ski. They would just drag me out to the top of the tram and coach me down the mountain. And luckily I was young and very, I don't know, made out of rubber. And I'm still learning how to ski, but I can ski powder now. And that was a very memorable first year. So I I thank those gentlemen for their kind instruction. That's pretty bold to take you on top of the tram and say, okay, we're gonna teach you to ski from up here. It was do or die. And when you're, I don't know, 19, 20, you're like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And I do remember a few uh, jumps that I went off of that were hilarious for the spectators that had guided me off those jumps. But overall, all in all, it was very, very supported, great guys and a great place to work. And we would punch out at 10 o'clock, go ski until the afternoon rush. And that was like a job that first winter. What are some of the, well, before I ask this question, where did you go to college? And you said that you graduated with an art degree. Yes. I went to Brown University and before it was as easy as they make it now, I took classes at the Rhode Island School of Design in addition to classes at Brown. I also spent a semester abroad in Florence, Italy. And I would say that semester abroad was very foundational to impart to where I am now and the career I have now. Okay. Yeah. Seeing piazzas and sculpture and beautiful botanical gardens and just the Renaissance came alive. (laughs) And living in Firenze for a few months with just these magnificent works all around you was incredible. We had this very knowledgeable, six-foot-tall Scandinavian art history teacher. And if you literally became immersed in a painting and turned around while you were in the middle of Siena or Bologna, she'd be gone. (laughs) Because she walked so fast and there was so much she was Mm. trying to teach all of us. And it was just a really incredible time. I was was really fortunate to be able to do that. And having that much beauty all around you in the history was really incredible. And those public spaces really did make you feel something different. Um, The design and the art and the thinking that went into those spaces uh, was amazing. I look forward to the day that I get to experience that. 
I have not been to Italy. I haven't been to Europe, but I have heard from so many people that it is a must do to experience, especially in the world of art. Definitely in the world yeah. of wine. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a, a tax write-off that, or a good investment in your professional career anyway. I'd highly recommend it. It was incredible. The wine we were buying was made down the street. Mm -hmm. And they were, they would say, please bring back the bottles. We're going to reuse those. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And same with the olive oil, so green and fresh. You could cut it with a knife. Mm. I love good olive oil. Yes. Yes. And so you landed here in Jackson hole the last few days of August, 1990. What are some of the, and you say that this is where you grew up. What are some of the jobs that you've held? What are some of the things that you've done that have helped you grow up? Definitely. And are you done growing up? No, no, no. Okay, good. I'm, uh, <laughs> gosh, no. I So my first job was Jack Dennis Sports. I also worked at Sweetwater for Steve Ellsmeyer, um, one of the best guys ever. And I did some graphic design. And all along the way, I was learning how to plein air paint. And eventually I had two little boys and started showing at what was then called the Muse Gallery for Mike Pickett and Ruth Harmon and started this simultaneous career of being a mom and a plein air painter and slowly pulling Back, I think when you have two little kids, if you're not already immersed in community work, it's really hard to start. And so at a certain point, I realized um, it was actually my father died suddenly when he was 60. And I realized, wow, I really need to contribute um, to this community. I need to contribute to our family's income. And that year... I started working as the art teacher at the community school and absolutely loved that. It was an incredible experience. Uh, the students were amazing. Some of the most creative people I know today, like Scotty Craighead was one of my students and now he's a community leader. From there, I went on to be the first executive director of the Center of Wonder. And I would say that was a point in my life where I was either going to try to get a teaching degree or some other direction. And, you know, it's hard to turn down the opportunity to be the director of the Center of Wonder. <laughs> that just sounded so amazing and awesome. And wonder, a sense of wonder is something I really relate to and is a big part of who I am. I'm I think most of us here have, we're just in awe of the world around us. It's beauty and the landscape. And so it was a good fit. And we did some incredible programming there. And another real milestone in my development in terms of who I am and where I am now is I met Mr. Bland Hoke. He came to the Center of Wonder one day and said, I want to be your wonder ambassador. And we said, okay, what does that mean? And 
he explained all these incredible projects that he wanted to do out in the public realm that would bring joy and spark curiosity and connect people to this beautiful, incredible place. And so we started working together and at, it was probably a year or two later, I attended an Americans for the Arts National Public Art Conference. And that was in Baltimore, Maryland. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is a whole industry, this public art. And we don't have this in Jackson, yet we have millions of visitors. We have incredibly talented artists. We have these beautiful places and scientists all doing incredible research. And I saw a really, what I thought was a great opportunity to start something new here. And so I did. However, quickly realizing there were lots of people that had come before and paved the way for us to even consider starting a public art program. People like Karen Stewart, who had already done some incredible public art installations, Tom Ross's Ravens that were along Highway 22, and the Driftwood Bison that were at Emily Stevens Pond, and people like John Sims, who had already installed Major Bison, and Ben Ross, whose stingrays were above our home team swim team, the Stingrays at the rec center, standing on a lot of people's shoulders was how the public art program started. But really that spark came from Bland Hoke. He one day said something like, everywhere's an opportunity. Every nook and cranny that, you know, of a blank wall or the dirty corner of a parking garage, those are all opportunities for beauty and transformation. And that really stuck with me. I, I want to learn more. That's a lot. I want to learn more about what the center of wonder is. I want to, before we get to that, I love what Bland Hoke had said to you. And if I may share an experience with what, how I immediately connected what he said is we were recently visiting my brother in Asheville, North Carolina, and we were downtown and leaving and Along the side of a building were these little tiny doors painted on the side of the building at the sidewalk level. And it was as though people, and it wasn't just the same door. They had painted the different entryway of homes that made it look like this is where the mouse can enter. <laughs> And it had all types of different styles, architecture styles and colors along the wall, going up the hill or down the hill, whichever way you're looking at it. And they were just so cute. My wife pointed out, she's, look at that. <laughs> and it just made stopping in that location so enjoyable to see somebody's creativity. I was like, how cool is that? That's an awesome story and how memorable it became one of your memories of your vacation yes indeed it has it has it will stick with me for a while and the kids loved it kids absolutely loved it yeah because what's behind the closed door why are they so different it just 
immediately makes you curious about who the painters were. Mm-hmm. What What is it about this place that has these tiny doors? And mm-hmm. it, it even as an adult, it pulls out these youthful musings from your brain. And I think that is one of the coolest, most powerful things about art. Maybe that's why kids are such great artists, because they don't overthink what they're going to create. They just let it go. I remember William, he's my youngest. He's six. He brought something home and it's like, and what did you paint? Tell me what this is versus making an assumption of what it is. And he says, it's a bird. I said, well, it is beautiful. And what does the bird do? And he goes into the description and I never would have picked out a bird, to be honest, but for him, it was a bird. Yeah. I think that is an amazing aspect of the arts is that you can have your own interpretation of it. And that's personally one of the things I love about public art is it's just there for you to discover on your own terms. And there's something really exciting about that. So true. So true. Now let's reverse back like I had requested and tell me about the center of wonder. Let's start there. Sure. So I think the founders of the center of wonder, Gary and Veronica Silberberg, had this notion of creating programming that would help people really connect to their sense of wonder and That was very intriguing to me, and I I loved that notion. And simultaneously around this time was when we were starting to realize that cell phones and digital technology were keeping children inside a little bit more than they um, had been in the past. So that was really an interesting kind of guiding foundation to some of the programming that we were developing. And really, we did things from making uh, natural environmental sort of Andy Goldsworthy art on the riverbed with Ben Roth to having speakers like Brock Coburn share He's like our local Indiana Jones. So sharing some of his stories of discovery and adventure. And it was a very exciting and fun challenge. I hadn't done nonprofit work before. And working with and learning from the Community Foundation here was incredible. What a team and what great resources they have for our community in terms of providing a really solid foundation for nonprofits and education for best practices. And so, yeah, the Center of Wonder was was really exciting. I met a lot of incredible people that are still doing really great work in the community today. I love it. Thank you, Carrie. I did some quick research while you were speaking and because you mentioned, you've now mentioned Ben Ross name twice and I've had Ben Roth as a guest on the podcast on episode 86. So you're in the 100 over 188, 190-ish area. So to give an idea of, and speaking with Ben and hearing his story was remarkable as well. And 
what a vision by Gary and Veronica to help create the center of wonder, but more importantly, you to be the first ED to take it to fruition. It needed a leader to, they had the idea, but somebody had to bring it to life. Totally. It was exciting and daunting and just a really, a, a beautiful concept. And Gary and Veronica are innovators and they have continued to revise and adapt the Center of Wonder to community needs and community input. I think that's great. It was a great opportunity. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have discovered Bland Hope and this whole idea of making art out in the public realm. <laughs> so was that part of you growing up? Yes. Learning how to have a real job that we still like to say at Jackson Hole Public Art, we are not doctors. And we take into account the our place in this community is not necessarily vital to, to people's daily existence in terms of core necessities of food and shelter. But we do bring an equally important core necessity of happiness and beauty and the ability to see something like Mama Mimi, our new giant troll, and to feel a sense of belonging. That's something we all share together, no matter our backgrounds. And so it is important that way. But we try to have fun with our work and the growing up piece is part of realizing what you can bring to a community, what your role is, and also how to balance. That's a part of growing up I'm still working on and how to be thoughtful about, about your work and how to try to engage and, and reach as many people as possible. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. We are going to have a quick break to get a word from our sponsor, but then you just mentioned something about public art, Mama Mimi. And so I want you to tell the background story of Mama Mimi because it is cool. We'll be right back. Compass Real Estate is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism, and breakthrough marketing strategies for fine properties. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought after properties in the Valley. For more information on buying or selling in Jackson Hole, visit compass.com or give them a call 307-733-6060. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is excited to announce the commencement of the new Curb to Compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. Recycling food waste by composting has many benefits for your business and the Jackson Hole environment. To discuss details about the food waste compost program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle. Carrie, welcome back. We're now talking about public art, your role as the executive director of 
it's Jackson Hole Public Art, correct? Yes. All right. And you all are bringing inspiration, beauty, happiness to the public realm through art. And it's in so many different ways. And pretty recently, there was an installation called Mama Mimi. And we have enjoyed playing many times on Mama Mimi, the boys jumping off her leg into the water and climbing all over and going from one side of the creek or the pond to the other. Can you share with us some of the background and how long it took to get Mama Mimi put in place? And what is Mama Mimi? (laughs) Well, first of all, Mama Mimi is a troll created by Thomas Dambo, who is a world famous recycling artist. And the story of how she came to Jackson is really a community story. It started in early 2019 when Lori Andrews was the president of the Jackson Hole Land Trust. And we had worked on the annual found space event together for a few years by then. And she said, you know, it's, we're coming up on our park's fifth anniversary and the land trust's 40th anniversary. And we really want to do something big and something special. And part of my job is to do research and keep on top of Who's making what and what artists are unique and different and might be a good fit for the ethos of Jackson Hole? And we showed her the work of Thomas Dambo. We agreed because he is a recycling artist. He likes to do community-based projects and work. And the fact that our park is essentially a recycled piece of land it's been refurbished and revitalized into this beautiful community space and so there's really incredible continuity between Thomas's work and our park and the connection between if we all recycle more and less things go to the landfill and we repurpose and reuse we'll have more beautiful spaces like our park to play in and explore so he came for a site visit in late 2019, and we were reviewing his proposal, his site-specific concept, and the pandemic hit. Mm. Lori also took her new job as president of the Community Foundation. And so there was this long stretch of waiting, and we waited until Max Ludington came into his new position at the Land Trust. We talked with them and their committees that oversee the R Park and created a plan and received permission to bring the artist in, I guess it would be the spring of 21. And so literally Max had been in his new position for a few days (laughs) and he said, okay, go ahead public art, we give you permission. That was just after Thanksgiving. I had COVID and I was home 
But I started making phone calls and telling people the story about this giant troll we wanted to bring to our park. And people were so taken with the idea of this big, whimsical, giant creature landing in our park that we could experience and share and have together. And it was really just the perfect fit for where and when we were as a community. And it also was incredible. This community just, they laughed and they opened their checkbooks and generously gave to support our troll campaign. And we raised the funds to bring him by the end of the year and scheduled him for 2021. It was still very challenging because we were still in the pandemic. He was coming from a major installation in Maine where he was building five trolls. His whole entire crew got COVID. It delayed them for two weeks. We had to reschedule his visit here two to three times. And that was not easy because as you can imagine, we were relying on a lot of business owners like yourself to help support his visit. Outpost was providing lodging, you name it. Every restaurant was providing a meal. We had volunteers. We had a crew scheduled who had promised to not go on vacation (laughs) during the spring so they could stay and work. So it was really challenging, but we were able, I was able with the help of our incredible project manager at that time, Alexandra Pope, to negotiate this, get them here safely, work safely, and create this um, ginormous sculpture that's temporarily in our park. And how long will Mama Mimi be at our park? She will live in our park for about three to five years. Uh Uh-huh. And she is one of about 80 trolls that are around the world. And Thomas creates these creatures to take care of the places where they land and to protect the environment. I like to think she's watching all the kids swimming in the big pond, making sure they're okay. She faces east, watches the sunrise every day. She's pretty special. Excited that she's there. And it just depends how she withstands our winters and the weather and so forth. But so far, so good. That's beautiful. I'm I'm happy to hear. And anybody who is planning on visiting Jackson should certainly take the time to go to our park to see Mama Mimi. And I've taken some friends there to see it uh, and to see her. And they were just blown away. They had a blast. The kids climbed all over it. And that's what she's there for, to bring enjoyment. And it's fun for adults to climb on it, to climb on her too. It's it's incredible. I've seen very tiny people from two years old and amazing anecdotes from parents early on in the summer saying, this is our fourth trip here today. That was one of my favorites. And then a, a little five-year-old boy asking me if she's real mm. and mm. if she's nice. And 
I said, oh, yes, she is full on real and mm -hmm. he likes it when you climb on her. And it's been really fun. And I've seen people as old as 80 holding hands and walking across her legs out to the little island. So it's pretty cool to have an interactive sculpture that you're allowed to sit on and touch and climb on. And I, I love her hair. If her driftwood hair from the river, it's just really anchors her to this place. It's super cool. Yes. He was a character, Thomas Dambo. Oh, real. And where, uh, share with everybody where Thomas is from. He's from Denmark. His studio's in Copenhagen. He made her face and hands and feet in his studio. The rest was built on site. We actually had the Red Top Meadows students helped disassemble pallets hmm. that were that were turned into her fur. That's how the artist refers to her outer being. It's her fur. And he brought two workers with him and we had three to four paid crew members here as well. And it took them about 10 days to build her. And we had a lot of help from other people and volunteers like two ocean builders helping us place those really important boulders <laughs> around her hands and feet. It was a real community effort. Everybody pitched in something to help. It was amazing. And we had gifts ranging in all sizes to help support the production of this great fun piece in our park. And the land trust was amazing. They're really trusting to let us put this sculpture there, even though it's just for three to five years. That's it's amazing that they were willing to to do that, I think, in the hopes that more people will come and enjoy our park. And she makes it more intriguing for all different types of people to come and visit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a blast of a park to go to. We frequent it winter and summer, spring and fall, all the seasons. And for people who are out of town or might be looking for living here and looking for a good sledding hill, when there's snow, it has some phenomenal sledding hills. It does. Our park is such a special place. It is, I always see the most incredible things when I'm there, whether the, the spring we were putting Mama Mimi in, there were five eaglets learning how to fly and hunt for fish. And then I've seen calf moose that running through the park with the mom that was probably no more than a week old. Just the most incredible things there. It's so beautiful. Such a treasure. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, Carrie, you sharing your story, and I hope that you're still growing up, that you don't stop growing I think so. I think I'm, I still have a ways to go, but we're always learning. And that is one of the exciting parts of my job is that no matter what you do, it's always different. We're not going to, you know, install another giant troll or another giant piece like Willow Grove that's in front of El Abuelitos. And every project is so incredibly different. You work with different community members, you partner with different businesses and organizations, and the artists are different. The process is different. 
So always learning and always learning more about our community. And it it's that's a really rewarding part of my job and translates to being hopefully a better parent and wife and coworker. So it's been really fun. Well, I, I may I share an experience of offering some public art, which anybody can do wherever they live. And it's so easy. When the pandemic hit, it was a beautiful spring day. And I decided, I said, boys, let's put a smiley face in the driveway. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I told my wife, she said, well, what are you going to do it with? And, and so I went to Ace and I got paint and I didn't want the stuff that was going to go away immediately, like a chalk paint that you'd spray a field with, but I didn't want something that was super permanent. Now it's still there, but I took a stick, put it in the center of the driveway with a string and I got the boys sidewalk chalk. And one of the boys held the stick in, in this, where it was. And I walked around the stick and made a big circle. So that's going to be our smiley face. And it took up the whole, uh, width of the driveway. So width of two cars and we painted this smiley face and kids stop. They ride their bikes on it. They talk about there's the smiley face. They just want to jump on it and stop and see the smiley face and an adult and I'm not a huge social media person, but we heard that the smiley face was all over Instagram. People were sharing, taking pictures of it and sharing. We didn't even know our neighbors were telling us, but we can all provide a little bit of art in a very easy, simple way to bring some enjoyment, happiness to others. And it, it doesn't take a lot. And so I encourage people to reach out to you for what they can do to help with the public art, but also come up with their own inspiration and seek some ideas from those kids because they have it. Yeah. I've seen your smiley face. I love it. I love it. And how did that make you feel when you were painting it? Were you guys just cracking up the whole time? We, we were having a, a really good time doing it. We ran out of paint and we had parked the cars in the garage. I didn't pull them out. So... <laughs> I had to ask the neighbors across the street to go down to Ace to get more paint for us. Um, the boys learned how to spray paint. I was teaching the kids how to spray paint. Good. Excellent. Uh, um, so that. we had a, a blast doing it. There's the oldest one who helped spray paint the five on that. Yeah. Did That's you help great. spray paint the the smiley face, Lewis? Good job. I've seen that. It's a beautiful piece of public art. I love that makes people feel good when they see it, don't you think? Yeah, it does. We have a sick one from home from school today, so he's in my office for a few minutes. Awesome. I'm sorry he's not feeling well, but nice he gets to spend time with you. It's always good to spend time with these little munchkins. My minions. <laughs> yeah. So, Carrie, if people want to reach out to you, what is a good way for them to connect with you? I think they should check out our website, jhpublicart.org. We are also going to be out and about a lot this summer. We have a new community artist position staffed by different community creatives, and we'll be doing activities in parks and at the People's Market to do what we were just talking about, make people feel happy and feel good and part of the community. So 
look for us around town or check out our website. Well, thank you, Carrie. We will keep an eye out. Will you guys be at the Eco Fair? Yes, we will. You can okay. come uh, make solar flags with Suzanne Morlock, the world famous Charlie Brown sweater artist who created that great sweater piece that was on the art spot many years ago. Well, we look forward to it. Will we go to the Eco Fair, Lewis? Mm-hmm. You got it. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join me. And I had a blast talking to you. And we'll both commit to we're going to keep learning. We're going to awesome. keep growing. And You're keep painting smiley faces. <laughs> All right. Take care, Carrie. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. To learn more about Carrie and Jackson Hole Public Art, visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 190. Thank you, everybody, who helps keep this podcast going. Keep sharing the podcast with your friends and family. Thank you to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. And to Michael Morey, who does all of the editing and marketing for this podcast. If you're looking to create your own podcast, reach out to Michael Morey today. I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. Cheers till next week when I see you right back here for another episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.